Hello and welcome back to another week of the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I am, of course, your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, long-term resident of Seoul, South Korea, and your guide to the world of all things K-beauty. And on today's episode, I have got a really big one for you, and I think a lot of you are going to find this one interesting. We are talking about all of the different ways that Koreans treat the signs of aging. Now, why I wanted to do this episode is that I have noticed a little bit of a trend. So obviously now we are well into the hundreds of episodes. We've been going for a while. We have covered so many different things over the last two years. You know, since the show's kind of started, we started off all the way back in 2020 talking about just more generally, you know, some of the key differences between Western beauty and K-beauty. We've done episodes, seasonal ones, about, you know, how to treat your skin in different seasons, different times of the year. We've done a few different ones on uh, the particular skin types. And I have noticed a little bit of a trend, and that is whenever we do an episode that is talking about anything to do with mature skin or anything about aging, that people seem to really, really enjoy those ones or certainly click on them and listen to them a lot more than a lot of our other episodes, which leads me to surmise that it is likely that many of you are interested in things to do around treating the signs of aging. Obviously, Koreans in general are very, very famous for looking a lot younger than they actually are for, you know, a very long time. And I can confirm having lived here for a while that it can be really, really tricky to guess people's age. I've gotten a lot better at it over the years, and now I'm I'm pretty good at sort of you know, picking up on other signs that would suggest how old they are. And that's from things like, you know, what people are wearing, how old their kids are, uh, you know, if they're married or not, or things like that. From kind of social markers, I can usually manage to pick up on what someone's real age might be. Because without that, it can be very, very difficult. Like, honestly, the range can be incredible. Where I'm talking anything from people could be 25 or they could be 40. And it's quite hard to tell. And obviously, a lot of the, you know, reason to do with that, when it comes to aging, genetics plays a big part. When it comes to any of our skin, genetics plays a part. But genetics isn't everything. And I think a lot of people are really interested in hearing about what's going on over here, you know, and maybe a a bit of a deeper look into, you know, behind the snail mucin, because guys, I can tell you right now, it's not snail mucin. (laughs) Like, I know that that is the, the, the product, the ingredient that gets people so excited, particularly in Australia at the moment. It's wild to me. But like all of the top blogs and the things that people are talking about, I'm like, we have been talking about snail mucin since 2014 now. And it is not the only thing that is going on over here. In fact, Korea moved past snail mucin a very, very long time ago. Um, but that seems to be the thing that, that, that sticks out in people's minds. So I thought, 
We had a little chat a little while ago, a few episodes back about HIFU, H-I-F-U, which is the sort of ultrasound treatments, the Olsera and all of those kind of ones that Koreans are doing for lifting and people were very interested in that. So today I want to have a look at just some of the other things that go into giving Koreans really, really great skin and the ways that they do things a little bit differently from the ways that maybe you do it in your country. So that is my plan for today. And obviously I think, you know, when it comes to the anti-aging market anywhere in the world, it's going to be pretty big. And the same can be said of Korea's market as well. In 2020, it was estimated to be worth at about 1.23 trillion South Korean won. So big, big, big business. And, you know, there are just so many different things that people are doing to try and stave off the signs of aging. But the first one, and we've spoken about this many times before, is that in general, the Korean philosophy to skincare and to anti-aging is that prevention is better than a cure. So rather than, you know, like you will see people do in Australia and the US, which is they get to a certain age, they've got a few wrinkles and they're like, oh my God, what can I do? And it's like a mad rush. And you'll see people in Facebook groups go, oh my gosh, I have a wrinkle. What should I do? And they have no idea how to take care of their skin. They've never thought about it before. A lot of them don't even use sun screen and they're freaking out. They're just like, this is all news to me. But Koreans start young. How young? Like really, really young, even in babyhood. Now, obviously in babyhood, we're not worried about anti-aging, but what they are doing is getting a skincare routine set up and set in place. If you've ever watched any of the Korean reality TV shows, like maybe Superman Returns or any of the ones that are focused on people caring for kids and babies, you'll notice that Koreans are like in there washing their babies' faces. They're applying lotion all over their face and bodies and and doing that really, really regularly. The other thing is, so it starts from that Kids are taught how to do all of that sort of thing. And it's not considered strange for people to spend time doing this to, you know, visit a facialist, visit a dermatologist if you need to. Whereas I think in a lot of other countries, there is the perception potentially that going to a dermatologist or maybe having a skin treatment done is a bit of a vanity thing. Uh, And that is just not the case in Korea. So the Koreans think of skincare in the same way that I would say Americans, Australians think of things like fitness and nutrition. So no one would bat an eyelid if you told them, oh, look, I'm working on my health at the moment. I'm, you know, adding a few more green smoothies into my diet and I'm hitting the gym a bit more regularly. No one would look at you. And it's the same in Korea for skincare. It's not taboo or weird at all to be like, yep, I'm just going to pop out to the dermatologist and have a facial, or yep, I'm just going to go and get my brows microbladed or anything like that. Koreans are super honest and open about procedures that they've had done, about 
any kind of little beauty treatments and they'll ask you as well and it's not considered to be like this big taboo thing whereas I think in a lot of western countries it's kind of like you need to make effort but not look like you're making effort on the outside whereas I think in Korea there's just a very very different way of thinking about skincare as a whole so you know there's a lot more it's a lot more out in the open I think that's one of the biggest differences that I've noticed the other thing, obviously, is the focus on hydration and also on balancing your skin uh, and calming the skin and keeping it in the best environment for itself. Uh, and why they do that is because these are all the kind of things that can cause premature aging. So if you're constantly obliterating your skin with like really strong, harsh, harsh acids, if you're constantly damaging your skin barrier and your skin can't repair itself and renew itself then you are going to notice the signs of aging a lot more quickly and the same thing if you let your skin dry out like a lot of people have said to me oh Koreans are almost obsessed with hydrating their skin like there's so many layers and everything like that and there's a reason for that dry skin is the first to show lines and signs of aging so when you see people in dramas and things like that manically spritzing mists and applying balms and layering products that's part of it is PPL and product placement and advertisements yes but there's a truth in that too and that's because people really do do things like that they wouldn't put it in a drama or a tv show if it was like completely out of the ordinary and just something that no normal person would do the fact is that people do do these things people are worried about keeping their skin really nice and hydrated and that is you know so much of what goes into the products and you know the layering and the different steps and things like that so all of that I think is a really really big part of it uh, that you know is just not the same in other places for whatever reason but hydration is so important the other thing is sun protection now obviously I think it goes without saying we have spoken about it so many times on the show, that that is the number one anti-aging product you will ever buy, that you will ever apply for your skin, is your sunscreen. There is no better anti-aging product on the market than sunscreen. If you don't have one, if you don't have one that you like, then drop everything else, stop listening to this podcast and go and find a product that you enjoy using and that you will use every day because there's not much point in listening to any other tips if you don't have your sunscreen sorted like that's just it is what it is right that's just facts <laughs> facts right there so sunscreen the number one way to shield your skin from fine lines and wrinkles and you know Koreans take it super super seriously a lot of the innovation in the sunscreen space does go on in Korea obviously we've got things like the special SPF patches now which are, have come onto the market so you know constantly just thinking about new ways that we can apply sunscreen reapply sunscreen stay out of the sun um you know everything from wearing hats everywhere parasols staying under shade if you're in the park uh, you know, all of those kind of things, wearing longer sleeves if you're going to be driving in the, in the car for a while so that the sun doesn't, you know, get onto your driving arm. These are all things that Koreans do and it's not unusual at all. Whereas, you know, I remember when I lived in Australia, 
when I was younger, I actually lived in a, a, a part of Brisbane, which is my hometown that had a lot of Asians. And it would not be unusual to see other Asians walking down the street with an umbrella up in the middle of summer when the sun was out. And, you know, I always have some Australian friends who'd be like, oh, it's not even raining. And I'm like, dude, that's clearly not the point. You know, it's for sun protection. So that was comment worthy in Australia. In Korea, it's totally not. So I think that's a really big difference. And that's something that you can really easily try for yourself at home without any fancy machinery or spending a ton of money is just to apply uh, sunscreen. Now, the other thing is that I think when it comes to K-beauty, a lot of the time you will notice that they're not really marked as like anti-aging solutions. Now, there are definitely products that fall into that category, but in general, as a generalization, you will see far, far less focus on things like retinol and the really, really strong acids. And that's because Koreans do prefer to avoid those kind of things. Anything that really dries out the skin, anything that has a lot of different side effects or irritating potential, Koreans generally tend to avoid. Now, obviously, we've been speaking on the show that there aren't those kind of new products coming onto the market with retinol and bakuchiol and all these kind of things. And I actually think a lot of those releases are more targeted to Westerners and people overseas rather than products that a whole lot of Koreans are going to go out and buy. I think the brands that are doing them, you know, that, that's also slightly overstating it, but I do think that they are, you know, K-Beauty has worldwide appeal now. There are lots of people using Korean beauty products from everywhere. So those kind of ingredients have been added to the lineup, probably because of feedback and, you know, things like that from foreign consumers as well. When it comes to the kind of products that you will generally see on the shelves here and sold online and things like that, you will notice the ingredients are quite different. Things like EGF is very, very popular and sold everywhere from skin clinics to hair clinics, products that have EGF in them. Uh, other things that are, include collagen, peptides, niacinamide, uh, adenosine is an absolute favorite that you will see in so many K-beauty products, edebinone, licorice for brightening, obviously some more common stuff like hyaluronic acid. And then you've got ginseng, which is another category that, you know, a lot of the, the K-beauty products that get exported, they don't generally tend to move too much into that red ginseng category just because of how expensive that is and you know that they don't tend to sell as well overseas but there are some really really expensive and you know luxury premium products on the market here i think they probably sell better in some parts of asia like china but those kind of products are all the kind of things that a lot of people here will use as well as recipes based off Hanbang ingredients. So the kind of things that will be prescribed at the Haniwan, which is uh, Oriental Medicine Clinic. There's a whole lot of lines like that. A lot of the more luxury, mature skin focused lines in Korea will have those kind of ingredients in them. Uh, and a lot, most of those, the vast majority of those are not sold overseas. Certainly in Western countries, I just don't think there's the same kind of appetite for it. Uh, you know, I'm not too sure about the Middle East. I know we have a lot of listeners in the Middle East. I'm not sure if those kind of products are selling well over there, but they do tend to sell better in 
other places in Asia, particularly places that have the common heritage of uh, of Chinese backgrounds and traditions and medicine and things like that. Uh, those kind of products tend to sell the best there. So I'm going to do a separate episode later down the track about some of my favorite anti-aging ingredients in K-Beauty, but that is just, I guess, you know, a, a long-winded way of saying that the products really are not entirely marketed as you know some kind of way to turn back the clock they're really to support you in doing your hydration and all of those other steps the other big thing is obviously the focus on barrier care and you know repairing your your damaged skin barrier calming the skin down that's the vast majority of products particularly at the moment because of covid Chinjong uh, is what those products are called in Korea, like literally just to try and calm, soothe, to make the skin, uh, you know, supple again, less dry, less dull, less flaky, less red. Because if the skin's barrier is damaged, then there's not much you can do in terms of the anti-aging side of things because you need a strong barrier. That's kind of like the starting point is strong, healthy skin. If the skin is damaged or disrupted in any way, then that is just, you know, there's not that much that you can do for it. So that's a super big focus on a lot of the products here as well. Then we've started speaking about on the show, but there's a whole range of clinical treatments that people do here in Korea and they're not considered to be outlandish or wild or like oh my god I can't believe people do that again because going to see a dermatologist you know it's so much cheaper than it is in other countries then there's also estheticians clinics as well so a lot of people will go particularly people that have a little bit more time on their hands uh, you know maybe middle-aged women that their kids are in school and they don't have a full-time job, it's not unusual for those women to go to the aesthetician once a week, once every twice a week, and they'll have hydrating facials, they'll have mini laser treatments and things like that. Uh, You know, not everyone, obviously not everyone is super into it, but the people that can do, and the treatments are so much cheaper than they are in other countries. So what kind of treatments are people doing? Obviously, some of the stuff that we are doing here in Korea is similar to other countries. So obviously, things like the vampire facial, the Kardashians did that on one of their shows many years ago, the PRP. So that's the one where they basically take out your own blood, they filtrate it, and then they inject it back into your skin. Uh, And, you know, it's supposed to have a lot of benefits to plumping up, making your skin brighter and things like that. I actually did try this right before I got married, a couple of months before I got married. So quite a while ago now, we're going on nearly seven years ago back in Australia. Guys, I personally didn't rate it. I didn't think it did anything. I think I maybe had one or two of it and I absolutely cannot stand blood and needles. So for me to get this done, I was just like, oh God, I will do anything to look better on my wedding day. And, you know, even the having to the give blood thing, like I'm the kind of person that faints giving blood. So already this was not really a kind of procedure that I could see myself doing regularly at all. I didn't really see the benefit of it, but it is popular here. So I can tell you that. Other things that are popular here, the skin Botox and baby Botox. So skin tox 
uh, here is basically what they're doing is they are using Botox, but not in the typical way. Normally when Botox is inje injected, it's injected in large enough amounts to freeze the muscle. That's why you see less lines. But when they're doing it with the skin tox, they're not doing it deep into the layers of the skin. It's at a superficial layer. And essentially what they're trying to do there is reduce your pore size, which obviously gives you a natural lifting effect and then also improve some really fine lines. So that's another really popular one. Uh, a lot of celebrities and people who are on TV will have that done. Uh, you know, that's obviously going to you make an actual difference to your pores, which a lot of other treatments, uh, you know, can have minimal effect on the pores depending on what they are. So that's another really, really popular one. Uh, we spoke a couple of months back about Hifu, uh, like Ulthera and Thermage, which are like uh, treatments essentially to stimulate the collagen in your skin to help prevent laxity, crepiness, jowling, all of those kind of things. Uh, they're two quite similar procedures. Thermage is using radio frequency, Ulthera is, is using ultrasound energy, but they're basically stimulating new collagen so that your own skin can actually repair and renew itself, which is something that a lot of uh, uh, topical products can't do. So those kind of things are very, very popular in Korea. And, you know, dermatologists and whatnot, all the people that work at dermatologists offices, if you ask them what they get done, I almost guarantee you that most of the people working there will do these treatments on a semi-regular basis, once a year or twice a year or something like that. Uh, and I'm actually working to try and get a couple of local dermatologists onto the podcast and actually talk through some of their favorite treatments as well. So stay tuned for that. That is a work in progress. Um, hopefully we can have something like that for you guys already uh, soon, but just stay tuned for, for that update as well. Now, the other thing that really freaked me out when I first moved here uh, because I hate injections, like I told you guys, was that people regularly go to the skin clinic and have all sorts of different injections done to uh, improve their skin's appearance. So these are not injections that are necessarily into your face. These are almost like vitamin injections and things like that. So I remember one of the girls in the office when I first moved over here, she was telling me that, you know, she was going to go and have one done to improve, basically to make her skin brighter. So there are so many different types. You can get glutathione injected, which obviously can deactivate tyrosinase, which is the pigment, the, the enzyme that creates pigment in our skin. Then you can do things like aqua injection, which has collagen in it that can basically soften your wrinkles. Uh, it's hydrating and things like that. There's another one called Dermashine, and that one uses like a micro needle gun to plunge a whole lot of different things into your skin surface, sometimes Botox, sometimes vitamin C, hyaluronic acid. Uh, the Chanel injection is another really popular one. That's basically got uh, amino acids, hyaluronic acid, lots of different vitamins, 
A, B, C, E. And that one they do inject into the face for brighter, plumper skin. There's Rejurin, and that one is a popular one that has salmon DNA in it. Uh, salmon DNA is, how's this for weird? Salmon DNA is a 95% match for human DNA. Riddle me that one. Uh, anywho, <laughs> it has anti-inflammatory and skin repairing uh, properties as well. So that one's another really, really popular one. Uh, you know, I, obviously your mileage will vary depending on if you like to get injections, but you know, these are available in other countries as well. I know particularly the glutathione injections are also popular in places like the Philippines. So Korea is not the only place doing these, but they, this is a really popular one series of things that people like to get if they're into that kind of thing. Thread lifts is another one, and Korea is a pioneer in the thread lift technology. There are a lot of companies that have patents for different lifts, types of thread lifts that are sold throughout the world, and Korean doctors are very, very good at doing this. Uh, and you know, they, they're used to treat basically mild to moderate skin laxity, so they're not suitable for you if you need an actual facelift. But if you are you're seeing some signs of premature aging, then thread lifts can help uh, and you know boost collagen as well so that's another really really popular one that's quite cheap here uh, it really depends where you go sometimes when I do episodes like this people sort of slide into my dms asking for pricing and I'd say that that really depends on a couple of different things if you are wanting to get any kind of treatment here in Korea if you're trying to budget for it know this if you go to a really really big a uh, clinic or plastic surgery center that has uh, lots of different departments that speak different languages, then the price is going to be higher. Basically, the international clinics that cater specifically to tourists and foreigners that are coming to Korea for the purposes of a beauty trip, uh, maybe, uh, or plastic surgery or something like that, the price is, is going to be one on the higher end compared to the smaller local clinics. But if you don't speak Korean and you don't know where else to go, I think that they can be a really good option for people. I know some of them have like airport pickup services and things like that. I've known people over the years that have worked at places like that, like for example, as a Thai language translator for the people coming from Thailand. So that's a really, really big business. There are lots of options like that that you can go and search in English or whatever language you speak, Thai, maybe Russian. I've seen a lot of these clinics post, you know, signs and whatnot in lots of different languages, Chinese, Japanese. So that is one option for going to get all of those things done. Another option is a smaller skin clinic. Uh, some of those speak English and are popular amongst foreigners living here that don't speak Korean. But the cheapest pricing that you will get anywhere in Korea is going to be the one that you can go to with someone that speaks Korean. So if you have a Korean friend or whatnot, get them to ring up whoever they normally go to and make an appointment for you and go with you and you will get a, a good, a really good price. That's just the way it works here. Uh, there, there is a, a foreign tax, for want of a better word, a premium price that you will pay if you have a concierge service in your own language. But if you want to go and get that done, and it also is cheaper than it is in your home country, then you know, probably it doesn't really matter. Uh, but that's all I will say on pricing. Uh, you know, it really depends. It depends if they've got a special offer going. 
a discount. Some places offer discounts if you buy, you know, a pack of treatments, a set of treatments or things like that. So you really will just have to, you know, have a look around, do some research at the time that you're going. Uh, it's basically how long is a piece of string. But in general, it will be very much cheaper than it is compared to places like the States, Singapore, Australia, uh, you know, anywhere like that. It's just going to be miles and miles cheaper. I think you can safely say that. The other thing that is going on here, and it is still in its infancy, is regenerative medicine. So these are things like stem cell transfusions. Uh, Korea, as you will probably not be surprised to hear, is leading the, the way on uh, advanced regenerative, regenerative medicine. Uh, and it's actually got an act in place to try and basically you know, improve public health and prepare a safe system for the management support commercialization of regenerative medicine uh, so there's approved products that are on the market for these kind of things uh, and the idea with like stem cells in general is that they can help to repair injured tissues uh, and do all kinds of different really cool things like produce more blood vessels uh, strengthen the function of your cells and things like that so there are some local clinics here that specialize in the use of stem cells for you know therapeutic purposes uh, to improve things like elasticity and all of this kind of thing. So here's a little tidbit of information for you. The former president of Korea, the one that went to jail not too long ago, President Park Geun-hye, one of the things that came into the media at the time that she was basically taken you know, out of power was that she had been going to a Gangnam clinic and receiving stem cell transfusions, but illegal ones, ones that had not been approved yet by the government. Uh, and so that was a whole big thing in the media was that she'd been going because she had beautiful beautiful skin too and she was a, a lady that was not that young uh i think being in jail for the last couple of years i've seen photos of her more recently she's not looking her best which i think we can probably forgive her for i'm not sure jail is a particularly great place for anyone but suffice to say that was a whole big to do because people were like well how dare she can get the stem cells and we can't get them uh where where you know that was a whole big thing so that's another thing i'm not sure how many people i don't think i've ever spoken to anyone that's had that done before it is still uh an area of the industry that is in its infancy but there's a lot being done on that uh, and there are a lot of products that are entering the market with things like stem cells in them as well stem cells from things like salmon and whatnot not necessarily humans uh, but that kind of stuff is just a lot harder to sell overseas because of the differing regulations and things like that around it so they might not be as easy to get your hands on but that is just in a 30 minute nutshell, <laughs> the kinds of things that are going on here. Now, that's not to say that everyone in Korea goes out and gets all of these treatments and that everyone's, you know, getting injections every second week and things like that. But these are all possible. They're all accessible here. If you are into skincare or whatnot, uh, you know, these are some of the kind of things that people are doing for their skin. So I think, you know, obviously the skincare aspect of it is a really, really big and important one. Uh, but there's also no shame in Korea in going and having some of these 
other kinds of treatments. Uh, even if it is just things like, you know, facials a little bit more regularly than your average Westerner would. You know, it, it, still, even today, I think in many countries, a facial is like seen as a little bit of a treat. Like, you know, maybe you get given a, a gift voucher for Mother's Day or something like that. It's like, go and treat yourself, have a nice facial. Whereas for some Koreans, it's like, well, I can go more often than that. And, you know, that's not a thing. I, I don't need to worry about that. For $50, $100, I can go uh, and have, you know, a facial, a facial done once a month if I want to. And that's not seen as, you know, super extravagant or over the top or vain or anything like that. It's just like that's part of your skin management. In addition to the stuff you're doing at home, you can do stuff like that as well. So that is what is going on here. I hope that some of those have been interesting to you. I know they certainly were to me when I sort of, my eyes were opened, let's just say, when I got over here and saw just the sheer volume of different options that are available. There is just so much on the market, coming onto the market all the time. Uh, and Korea really is leading the way with all of this kind of stuff. I just think that, you know, the emphasis that the culture has on taking care of the skin and body is just a bit different from everywhere else. And that is why there are so many studies and all of this kind of thing being done all the time. So that is uh, all I had for you guys today. I'm going to leave it there. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, make sure that you stay subscribed. If you have a friend or someone that you know that might be interested in any of these, I would love for you to pass it on to them. And in the meantime, I will see you on Style Story. 